Good morning. This is Sister Lisa coming to you from the ILD, the Edmund Elder Library. And I'm sitting here in my husband's study at the Edmund Elder Library. And I am going to begin Chapter 7 of When God Doesn't Make Sense. This is a book by James Dobson. And we are not reading it word for word. Um, I'm reading some of it. And then I always add, add some things easy to it. But our main purpose is to point others to the cross and to help one another through this thing that God created called life, day to day. I just wrote in my husband's little journal, I'm not going to read it to you right now, but just wrote in him about how so much of his and my life together, uh, we were married for 38 years, and we just, um, this last Saturday was our 39th anniversary, but he passed away September the 2nd of 2021. And so, um, this was my first anniversary without my husband, but true love never dies. But what I was saying in my journal, I was talking about, sometimes it seems like the same old, same old, the rat race seemed like just, you know, when you try to look back over your life, you just, you know, you don't know what to talk about because I mean, you do the same thing over and over, but you know, that builds, that is part of our, um, that's the unfolding of the rose, God, God working in our life. And um, it shows our faithfulness and our integrity and the type of person we were, how we just kept on going and how he just kept on going, even through the pain and um, just oppositions uh, from job. He had to go through a lot of different junk things through his life, but he stood firm and fast on the faith. You know, we all have our different kinds of battles to fight. Life isn't easy for any of us. When God doesn't make sense, when God doesn't make sense, there's a purpose and a plan. A lot of times it is testing us to see who we are, what we're made of. This chapter 7 is the adversity principle. The adversity. Let me turn a corner now and approach this important topic of faith under fire from another direction. From the time I was 10 years of age and read my first book about the stars and planets, I have had a fascination with the subject of astronomy. What captured my imagination was the relative size of those twinkling little lights above us. The earth I discovered was a mere peanut compared to the larger bodies in our neighborhood. I am still awestruck by the unbelievable dimensions of God's creation. How does one grasp the meaning of a visible universe? that is at least 30 billion light years across and composed of perhaps 100 billion galaxies, each containing hundreds of billions of stars. It is breathtaking to consider what exists there in the silent sky. One of the objects relatively near to us, a star named Epsilon, is actually larger than the orbit of the planet Pluto in our solar system. In our solar system. If it were hollow, it would contain more than 2.3 billion of our suns. I kind of choked up on the saying, the planet Pluto, because, you know, since this book's been written, they've said Pluto wasn't a planet, and I think maybe now they say it is again. I'm not sure. But anyway, whether it is a planet or not, God created awesome stuff. King David, who would... King David, who could have known nothing about modern astronomy, was keenly aware of the Lord's marvelous work in creation. He wrote, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. Psalms 19, 1 and 2. Indeed they do. 
I suppose that is why the study of astronomy still holds such excitement for me. It declares God's magnificent glory like no other field of inquiry. Inquiry, inquiry, inquiry. After exploring what the Creator has done and no, and how, oh, after exploring what the Creator has done and how He continues to control the vast reaches of the cosmos, I find it easy to trust Him with the concerns of my life. Somehow, it seems like He just might be able to handle them. <laughs> yeah, He can do all that. If He can calm the raging sea, He can calm me. He can calm my life. He can help it. Um, in the middle of the night, around 2, 2.30 or something, I got up to get me a drink. And I noticed there's ants around my sink. Ants in my kitchen. So I, after I got a drink, went back to bed. I text, I text Golden Circle, the exterminators, and said, Hey, I'm not sure who I'm going to talk to, um, but I've got ants and I want them gone as soon as possible. ASAP. I want them gone. Um, because I'm on a... I'm on their cycle um, for spraying. They're supposed to come every three months. Well, it hasn't been that long. It hasn't been that long since they came and sprayed for various things. And I want to be, um, I want to be bug free. Those bugs bug me. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So thank God we have such things that we can call. And I do have a can of ant spray. I haven't sprayed it yet. Is almost empty. Um, I just want to wait and see what they say. If they can come out right away, or if it's if it's going to be a while before they can get here. If it's like it'll be a day or so, then I'm well, definitely I'll spray it myself. But um, <laughs> anyway, it seems like it's always something. Same as Lisa, or sister Lisa. <clears throat> say you're always <laughs> the kids. I childcare. My childcare. My piano students. They call me Miss Lisa. Anyway, um, you say, you're always saying there's something going wrong. Well, your life too, right? <laughs> in your life too. What was it that we read a couple, um, maybe last week in this book? It said something that um, we, we might have two weeks of peace and then something's going to happen. That's just how life is. That's just how life is. And we just got to, um, we're not looking for those things to happen. But we know, but we know that all things do work together for the good because, um, just like I was just saying about the bugs, there is, we can call the exterminator or we can get that can of ant spray. We don't have to live with the problem. I can't just ignore those ants and think they'll go away. No, they'll multiply. There'll be more and more and more. You know, I have to do something about it. And that's the same thing with our life and sins in our life. We can't let little things grow. We can't let bitterness grow. We can't let we can't get caught up in our sorrows and griefs over anyone either. When God, when life gives us, I start saying when God, but when life gives us lemons, you make lemonade, or you pray and ask God, say, Lord, I don't want to be bitter. I want to be better. And and like me, I want to take my husband's death and write a book. I feel like I'm led to write a book about his life because he's not done living. My husband, he did a lot. He did a lot of good in his life. But he had some dreams and goals that he didn't get to see realized. One of them was going to Goodland. He wanted to go back to Goodland where his birthplace and he wanted to start a church. Well, he might not be able to start a church per se, but he can have a book there. He can have a book about his life there. He can touch people's lives in so many different ways. We don't know. And I can't make that happen. That's What I can do is try to write the book and then let God do what he wants with it. It may 
not be a bestseller like a man called Peter was for Catherine Marshall. Her book, she just did what she felt led to do. And hers became a bestseller and became a movie. I don't know. I don't know what happened. It might just be me talking about it on the podcast. That one or two people or perhaps more people listen to it. But one thing, if you don't do anything, if you don't plant any seeds, you're not going to get any harvest. You just do what you can do. Okay, back to the book, page 144. I remember with fondness a story about Albert Einstein and his speculation about time and space. One day he was interacting with some of his brighter students about God and whether or not he exists. Einstein then asked them this provocative question. What percent of the total knowledge of the universe do you suppose we now possess? They gave him various estimates, average about 2%. The old physicist replied, I think your guesses are high, but I'll accept that figure of 2%. Now tell me, what are the chances that God exists in the other 98? A very good question, to be sure. In my further reading about astronomy some years ago, I came across the work of a man called Dr. Stephen Hawking. He is an astrophysicist at Cambridge University and perhaps the most intelligent man on Earth. The mantle of Einstein has fallen on his shoulders, and he has worn it with dignity. He has advanced the general theology of relativity further than any person since the old man died. Dr. Hawking is also credited with mathematical calculations suggesting the existence of black holes in space and other widely acclaimed theories. Unfortunately, Dr. Hawking is afflicted with a rare degenerative neuromuscular disorder called A-M-Y-O-T-R-O-P-H-I-C, lateral cirrhosis, ALS syndrome, or Lou Gehrig's disease. I have heard of Lou Gehrig's disease. Why couldn't he just say that in the beginning? (laughs) It will eventually take his life. Oh, that's so sad. He has been confined to a wheelchair for years where he can do little more than just sit and think. He cannot even write down the mathematical formula that govern the possession of his thoughts. Omni Magazine said of Hawking back in 1979, his mind is a blackboard. He memorizes the long strings of equations that give life to his ideas, then dictates the results to his colleagues or secretary, a feat that has been compared to Beethoven's writing an entire symphony in his head, or Milton's dictating Paradise Lost to his daughter. In more recent years, Hawking has lost the ability even to speak, and now he communicates by means of a computer that is operated from the tiniest movement of his fingertips. Quoting Omni again, he is too weak to write, feed himself, comb his hair, fix his glasses. All this must be done for him. Yet, this most dependent of all men has escaped invalid status. His personality shines through the messy details of his existence. That acceptance of illness is what makes Stephen Hawking of interest in the present discussion. Even though he does not believe in the God of the Bible, he might be a deist, although he wrote a book in 1988 entitled A Brief History of Time, in which he labored to explain away the need for a creator. Nevertheless, what Hawking learned from his disability is remarkable and can be enlightening to those of us who live by faith. He said that before he became ill, he had very little interest in life. He called it pointless existence, resulting from sheer boredom. He drank too much and did very little work. Then he learned he had ALS syndrome and was not expected to live more than two years. The ultimate effect of that diagnosis beyond its initial shock was extremely positive. 
He claimed to have been happier after he was afflicted than before. How can that be understood? Hawking provided the answer. He said, When one's expectations are reduced to zero, one really appreciates everything that one does have. This is the point I made in the first chapter of this book. Stated another way, contentment in life is determined in part by what a person anticipates from it. To a man like Hawking who thought he would soon die quickly, everything takes on meaning. A sunrise, or a walk in the park, or the laughter of children. Suddenly, each small pleasure becomes precious. By contracts, those who believe life owes them a free ride are often discontent with its finest gifts. Hawking also said this about his physical limitations. If you're disabled, you should pour your energies into those areas where you are not handicapped. You should concentrate on what you can do well and not mourn over what you cannot do. And it's very important not to give in to self-pity. If you're disabled and you feel sorry for yourself, then no one is going to have much to do with you. A physically handicapped person certainly cannot afford to be um, psychologically handicapped as well. Another way of expressing Hawking's point is that a person faced with extreme hardship must press himself to get together. Whining and self-pity, as logical as they seem, are deadly indulgences. An individual in crisis will either grow stronger or become demoralized, within certain limits, of course. Adversity can have a positive effect on people by helping to build character. For Christians, Scripture says it develops and enhances that precious characteristic called faith. James 1 verses 2 and 4, 2 through 4. Biologist, biologist, forgive me, biologist, biologist, have long recognized this concept, which we'll call the adversity principle, at work in the world of plants and animals. As strange as it seems, habitual well-being is not advantageous to a species, and existence without challenge takes its toll on virtually every living thing. Just look at the flabby animals in a zoo. For example, food is delivered to them every day and they need to do nothing but lie around and yawn. Or consider a tree planted in a rainforest. Because water is readily available, it does not have to extend its root system more than a few feet below the surface. Consequently, it is often poorly anchored and can be toppled by a mine or windstorm. But a mesquite tree planted in a hostile and arid land must send its roots down 30 feet or more in search of water. Not even a gale G-A-L-E, can blow it over. Its unfriendly habitat habitat, actually contributes to stability and vigor. It is also relevant to the human family. Some of the most notable examples of courage have occurred in countries undergoing severe pressure. I want to keep going, but I'm going to forget what I wanted to say. I wanted to go back a little bit. I should have stopped then. But uh, I used to work with this man. I was an interpreter at the college, but um, after that, uh, while I was there, I had some free time between classes, and I was approached by the um, by the staff that worked there uh, if I would go be um, a script, a scribe for this um, this man that came to wanted to come to college, take some col- uh, computer classes. That was in a wheelchair. He had cerebral palsy, and um, so I, I said, sure. So I went and sat beside him, and I got paid to learn. I got paid to write notes in the class. I wrote notes, and, but then when it came time to computers, I did the hands-on work with him sitting beside me, and then he would go home and do the homework. He did the homework, and he did the test. He got the grade. He got the credit. 
but I got to, I got a lot of education. It was really neat. But he um, had a stylus thing that he strapped around his head. He had this thing that he put around his head, and it had a thing come out. And he would tap on his keys at, on his home computer. And he did it a couple times at the college class too. But um, mostly at home, he would he would do his work um, with that stylus. And I saw hands on. He was a very smart man. In fact, he wrote songs and he submitted them. Um, to Nashville, and he had, um, I won't remember his name, because I didn't know I was going to say this, but um, there was a, oh man, I can't think of his name, there was a man that recorded several of his songs, he did really well on it, he got royalties from that, and um, that was pretty cool, Um, Fred Markham was the name of the uh, cerebral, guy with cerebral palsy, but he wrote for a man that was pretty um, well known, and he died not too long ago. I remember, like a year or two ago. Um, the man that Don Williams, Don Williams, yeah, uh, did a couple um, Fred songs. But anyway, let's uh, be. But see, God, in spite of your uh, disabilities, I mean, who knew that I was the scribe for a a songwriter that <laughs> a man? And that's why. See, I write songs. In fact, I I probably missed an opportunity. I shouldn't have said, hey, Fred, can you give some of my songs to some of your people? But no, I didn't. I was there to be his scribe, not to try to, um, not to try to get fame or fortune. But that's one thing. And then I wanted to insert here about my dad. My dad always said that everybody, everybody has a story. I always told my dad that he should write a book about his life. And he says, uh, everybody should write a story. Well, my dad didn't write a book. My dad passed away two weeks after my husband died. So yeah, it was a hard. It was a rough year. But my dad did though. Oh, he spent countless hours writing out these formulas. He did these math word games, and I think he submitted some to several different word magazine, um, those little game magazine things. And I think he had some published. I, I believe he told me that, but I couldn't tell you what they were. I don't even know. Uh, I have no idea, but he had boxes of the stuff, and before he, right after he died, I started to say before, but, well, I'll go ahead and say before, before he died, my mom says, honey, we need to get rid of these boxes, just boxes, they lived in a small apartment, and it's taken up space, you know, because, um, I don't know what my dad, if he had any plans ever to do, what to do with those, he just enjoyed it, that was his, that was his form of enjoyment, he just loved writing out these things, and doing these, well, after he died, my mom got rid of that. But I think before, um, before they all got tossed out, they took a my one of my brothers took a picture of one of the things and sent it to me, and I, so I could look at it and see if I could decipher what it was. I had no clue, but there went hours and years of my dad just doing this thing. Who knows? He might have wrote his life story in code. I don't have any clue. I have no clue what he was writing. But I hate that it's gone. I hate I hate that there was no way that I got a hold of those. I mean, I'm glad we got the picture of the one. Um, but, yeah, things like that. It's like, you know, we just don't know. My dad was a genius. My dad really was a math genius. Um, in fact, when he was growing up there in, Bed- in Monroe County, uh, they lived out in the county in um, Heltonville area, Bloomington, Indiana that area well the mailman come by and saw my dad sitting on the front porch when my dad was a teenager and he says says Keith what are you doing here out in this neck of the woods he said you've got to get to the city 
got to get to the city. So dad went to Terre Haute, went to um, college there in Terre Haute. And, but um, he was going to he was going to be a math teacher. My dad was going to. Well, <laughs> he joined the army, got married to my mom, started working for my uncle Everett. My uncle Everett um, raised laboratory animals. <laughs> yes, raised hamsters, white mice, guinea pigs that kind of thing oh so disgusting when you think about it but anyway did my dad throw his life away I you know no he did what what doors open for him and and you know we don't know we don't we'll never know what uh, it could have been had he been a math teacher we don't know I mean and the same thing with with my husband I think he had a lot more potential, and um, he did great though. What he did, you know, he's he was had his own business, um, picking up garbage, and he also um, worked as a uh, correctional officer, um, made it up to sergeant level in um, in Kansas, and then we moved here. And, um, he worked hard, diligent. He was a diligent worker. He's a minister, youth leader. Oh, he's very sick. He was very successful for the 13 years he was a youth leader. Uh, a lot of good things. He was a he was a musician. He was um, a lot of things, you know. But he what we <laughs> we weren't you know like some what you you would think. Well, he he could pastor to church. Well, maybe he could have. Maybe maybe he could have. Uh, the family could have twirled around and sang. We did one CD. We did a um, New Dimension Family Band CD. We made one CD. People were like, oh, man, your family, should, you guys, you know, you guys should go on tour. <laughs> well, you know, we maybe could have been a singing family as such. We don't know. There's a lot of could be, would be, should be's. We don't know. But what you do is you just one day at a time, right? One day at a time is what we do. Well, I didn't mean to go over. I'm going to stop right there. And um, page 148. And we'll talk some more tomorrow. Well, God bless you. You have a great day. Bye-bye.